Hi. Hi. Who are you? I am Almar and I'm an addict. What kind of addict? Attention addict. I love attention. Any attention. And what are we doing here? Uh, we're making a podcast. What is that about? Um, it's about the things like uh, people's stories, how they ended up where they are, ended up doing what they're doing. And uh, yeah, it was supposed to be about something else, but I ended up with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are those people? Um, these are my friends. Uh, uh, yeah, basically my network, but because I wanted to make a show about me, but I didn't really have anything to talk about. So I ended up looking at the network. The network was interesting. So I kind of thought, okay, I can may- maybe make something with this. So do you have already a name for this uh, podcast? Yeah, it's called The Bunker. How the hell did we end up here? And how is it connected to to the theme? Uh, how the hell did we end up here? So basically people's stories and how they went from A to B and then to C and with coincidences, decisions, traumas. Basically anything that moves you to the direction or the point where you are. Mm-hmm. So how often are you going to have this podcast? Uh, I, I, I'm not sure, but maybe like two two times a month three times a month so do you take yourself seriously enough do you have some sponsors yeah like every other professional podcast then of course i have sponsors i have the oat bar uh, that's the the greatest thing in carleen sells amazing oatmeal and skier mm. everything is handmade um, and it's available from eight to three during the weekdays, closed in the weekends, but you can order on Walt as well. And it's a place that you really want to go. Healthy yet tasty. Mm, And then I have, yeah, and then I have a company called Alfred. It's alfred.cz. It's a place where you can find jobs. You can set up a job watch. You can get notified whenever there's a cool job coming along. And it's a great solution for anyone who is either looking for a job or wants to change jobs because you can... Find the right job without spending time looking for it. Uh, it's available in Czech, English and Slovak. And uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, Alfred.cz Yeah, those are the guys. Welcome to the bunker. On this episode, I have Richard Granon. Richard is the Spartan life coach. He has written books, done seminars, lectures and videos and helped thousands of victims of narcissism worldwide. He does this through his YouTube channel as well as his homepage spartanlifecoach.com. But there was a time in Richard's life when he needed help and the journey hasn't been easy all the time. So we talk about that, neurolinguistic programming, narcissism and the effect of COVID on mental health and people's lives and what you can do to keep your shit together during those weird times. Enjoy. Um, welcome, Richard. Welcome to the bunker. Thank you very much for having me on. How are you today? Really good, actually. Yeah, really good. Um, me and Richard, we met at the Old Bar. The Old Bar is one of the sponsors of, of the bunker. How the hell did we end up here? Um, how come that you're a frequent customer of the Old Bar, Richard? Uh, well, <laughs> I love going to the Old Bar because... Um, they do really, really good coffee, which is especially their flat whites. It's not always easy to find a good flat white, um, but uh, they're nearby, and I can get uh, 
they'll do oats with a skier there, a high protein bowl of healthy oats. Uh, so yeah, that's a good way to start the day. Yeah. yeah I'm happy to hear that because uh, most customers that come to the old bar, they seem to be coming back. Good. Good. Um, so you're here in Prague, but, uh, and working remotely kind of like you, you work online primarily, right? That's right. Yes. What is it that you do? Um, well, I used to coach online, uh, but I don't do that anymore. I now have coaches who coach for me online. Um, so most of my time is spent developing uh, courses in the form of uh, videos, books, and audio material, um, trying to solve the, the the larger problems that most of my audience, most of my followers have. That's that's what my days are filled up with. And what kind of like uh, psychological or, or psychological uh, predominantly the psychological problems can often be cultural and mm. societal as well uh, at the moment I'm having a big focus on codependency and people pleaser syndrome um, so where people are being excessively agreeable and fawning uh, and submissive too mm. much by compulsion um, we're very much there, very much focused on that right now and and so if you would say in if if you had one word to to say what what, what are you other than richard <laughs> uh i i probably would say that the the most accurate description for what i'm doing right now and the safest way of describing it is content provider i'm a content provider because i'm not a qualified psychotherapist in the uk you can say you're a psychologist it's not a protected term but i mainly speak to americans and it is a protected term there so life coach sounds kind of cheesy so i just say i'm a content provider okay sounds good um so you're from the uk right mm -hmm. where where and when and and all that stuff uh well i'm predominant i'm from the world uh which is a peninsula that is by liverpool where the uh, the peninsula with the most Viking DNA, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, uh, we have a lot of our town names. Um, they're actually uh, Viking town names. That was a, a place that the uh, Vikings loved hanging out. Um, so I'm from the Wirral, very young. Uh, I, I moved with my family to Portugal and I spent some years growing up in Portugal. And then eventually I, I went back to the Wirral in my uh, teenage years uh, went on to study down at Aston University in Birmingham, where I got a degree in psychology. Mm. How 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 was life there in 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 Birmingham and and around? Birmingham's a well, <laughs> Birmingham's an interesting place. Um, it's not a place I would rush back to. I love the people there, but um, it's actually that was back in 1996, and it was it was a, a pretty rough city. Um, I think when I was 18 years old, I, just living inside of a city centre can always be a little bit difficult. Mm. But yeah, it's pretty pretty rough and tough city, Birmingham. Ossie Osborne is from there. He's he's actually from Aston. Uh -huh. um, yeah, he's from the uh, from near the Aston Triangle. Yeah, so he's from right by my university. Yeah, uh, and uh, I, I think he still has a house there. I, I read I read in his biography, and he, he kind of seems to love it around there. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably a place where he can eat bats and stuff. Yeah, but nobody would judge you in Birmingham for eating bats. That's 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 the mildest thing you could do. In <laughs> and Duran Duran is also from from Birmingham. I didn't know that. Yeah, they are. Um, it's the same thing. I read the biography of the bass player. Yeah. From there, but and how you had siblings or, or how, how was family? 
Um, yeah, I have uh, one uh, sister who lives in California um, right now, uh, who I'm actually trying to see by Christmas time, which is, you know, why I'm on a bit of a journey going to Slovakia today to eventually go on to the UK. We're then going to cleanse ourselves of the EU zone because to get into America, you have to have spent 14 days not in the EU. Um, hopefully somewhere in the Caribbean. Um, uh-huh. Get a bit of sun and then get into America after that. Hopefully, if yeah. we're lucky. And um, how 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 come that you ended up here in Prague? I mean, what 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 brought you here? What what series of coincidences and events led me here? Um, well, I ended up in uh, living and working in Ibiza last year, and I was. Uh, working on a book that a year later I trashed the first 80,000 word manuscript for and started again. Um, I've just started it again now. And whilst I was living and working there, uh, an American chap who also happens to be from California, from LA, uh, who's been living here for a while, uh, called Pierre XO, um, he invited me to do an interview with him. We did a few interviews, we were chatting, we became friends and he said, come over to Prague and and visit. So I came over in the summer last year and uh, fell in love with the place. I mean, it's just, I I really, really don't like cities, but Prague is a, Prague's special, very, Mm. very special place. How? I'm not even sure. I wouldn't class it. I think it's misleading. Prague is a city, of course, but it's misleading to even class it as a city in a sense, in the sense that subjectively, when you live here, you can experience it more as a large, sprawling, medieval town where time and space don't seem to function normally. Prague is on its own time. Prague has its own reality, its own soul. Um, and so you, you, do have, you do have some of the city, city elements that are not so nice here, but generally speaking, it's a very beautiful place to be and it's, it's very calming where most cities really aggravate the fuck out of me. I just can't wait to leave them. Yeah. London's like that. I just Liverpool's like that. I hate the places. Can't yeah. wait to get out of them. Drive me mad. But here I feel pretty good. Yeah, I I think I can say the same. I, I, and and often I think often people that live here like expats and foreigners that live live here they tend to maybe see the downsides which are I mean they're they're everywhere but mm. um, but in the end for me the, this it's, it's a very livable city somehow mm. and and like you say it's not a stressful place to be in yeah um so you studied in in birmingham uh, psychology right yes um not at birmingham university i did have Bir- friends at birmingham university but i was i was at aston the reason i have to make that distinction is because people who went to birmingham would be like oh well that's a red brick university whereas aston's a poly uh, Polytech, uh, but yeah, I studied there for three years, um, and uh, got my degree in psychology. While I was there, I studied neurolinguistic programming at the same time with one of the founders, Richard Bandler, and I think I got my practitioner qualification when I was eighteen in my first year of study. Mm-hmm. And 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 this was why? Or, I mean, did you always know that you wanted to to study this, or, or was there like was there Richard the footballer or Richard the chef? Or? There was Richard the uh, there was Richard the wannabe MI five agent. So I, <laughs> <laughs> my father uh, worked uh, in intelligence, 
um, uh-huh. when he was he was actually uh, through working for the RAF. A lot of my family are police and, and military. So my trajectory was um, university being sponsored by the army uh, to then do officer training at Sandhurst to do maybe three to eight years on an officer's commission in uh, you know a decent enough regiment to then hopefully move move on from there into uh, intelligence afterwards that was that was the ambition um a few things happened that disrupted that one of them was that on my my final uh test before i could join sandhurst the night before uh i went out with some of my friends to a gay bar Uh, it was a sunday night and the only two places in chester the city we were in that you could go to one was a place full of townies where we probably would have gotten beaten up so we chose the gay bar because mm. they had good deals on drinks and good music. And I actually got glassed in there. The guy hit me in there. A guy went in there to beat up somebody who was gay and he picked me. Um, and he hit me with a glass. And that meant that I, because I got concussion and qu- quite strong, there was lots of little pieces of glass that shattered and went into my face. And the army said, you know, give it, give it six months. During that six months, um, 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. So I got smashed in the face with a glass. Then 9-11 happened. And uh, well, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to derail the podcast, but I, I, I watched that happen. Um, I remember very clearly. I was in a shop with my father watching it happen. And uh, I knew that, that what we were being told. We, we all knew. Everybody in the shop was like, this is, this is not real. This mm. is, well, rather, what we're being shown... And what we're being told as it happens live is not what's real. So I was there watching it live. The first tower had gone and then the second tower went down. And um, it was it was clear that something was majorly wrong. So back then in 2000, 2001, British Army, we'd been in, uh, been in Africa. Obviously, we'd been in Bosnia. A lot of the role of the British Army at that time was peacekeeping. And then we had what is it now, 18, 19 years of pretty aggressive mm. warfare in Afghanistan and, and Iraq. Um, so it changed the prospects of what my army life would look like, which which I was okay with. I mean, I wanted to join, I, I actually wanted to join the parachute regiment. So I was okay with that. Um, but 9-11 just made me, uh, I didn't know why we were in Afghanistan. I didn't know why we were in Iraq. And my father, who was in the military, he was also sort of saying, this is not... He was he was defending the country against the threat of Russian spies. That's, that's, that's what he was doing. And yeah. it was a clear enemy. Yeah. This was not. This was obviously some sort of... Um, something odd was mm. happening. So... I waited a couple of years. The army stayed in contact with me. They really, really wanted me to join um, because I'd passed the tests previous to that with flying colors. I'd done potential officer training. They, they, they wanted me in, but I just couldn't do it. I just, mm. uh, I was like, I can't be a part of that. Um, it really shook my worldview. Um, I then started looking at the police as a secondary option whilst waiting to join the police. I ended up doing nightclub security work. And then I spiraled into violence and cocaine addiction uh-huh. <laughs> for about seven years. Um, and that's a, that's a whole story. Uh, I ended up finally in 2010 leaving 
the UK and going and doing nightclub security work in New Zealand. And I started to get straightened out then. Uh, I, you know, after a year, I, I lived in New Zealand for a year and I started to straighten myself out. And I'd been teaching, I was doing nightclub security and teaching self-defense um, online. I had a YouTube channel teaching self-defense. It eventually got canceled because it was, sorry, it was considered too violent. Um, and I, my life was just in a holding pattern, basically, from the moment I got glassed to the age of about 30, 31. I was just, um, you know, not really doing anything, wasn't really going anywhere. And I decided that's when I should start trying to use uh, the degree. I knew that I had a gift for psychology because I'd done, while staying nightclub security and teaching self-defense, I had also worked as a contractor in the British education system for about five years, helping kids to learn and helping teachers to teach. And I'd done well there. Um, but, you know, I fell prey to some of the flaws in my own nature as far as addiction went. Mm. Um, and, and cocaine really had a, a good grip of me. Uh, how, and how, how was that? I mean, like, were you a day, daily user um, or was it partying or how, how, how it was, was it? It was started as partying. Uh, then it became, I was so bored doing nightclub security. Um, looking back, I can see why. Um, it's a boring job. And I was surrounded by idiots. And basically nightclubs are intellectual black holes. Um, there's no there's no cerebral stimulation there whatsoever. And I didn't know that I needed that. Um, so I was bored. I was just totally bored, totally depressed. Uh, the thing that I'd wanted to do with my life, I, I believed was a sham. I don't believe that... I believe the British Army ended up being used as a cat's paw for corporate, American corporate interests. Um, 19 years later, I've had confirmed by friends who, who followed that path for many years uh, that that's exactly what happened. And when they, they came out of the army and they started working in private security, basically as mercenaries, um, they ended up being reemployed by, you know, little agencies that were little spin-offs of, of the CIA to keep the drugs moving in Afghanistan. I've got friends who've told me they watched opium fields being harvested by the CIA. There's a little sideline story, actually. Mm -hmm. one, of, one of my friends, uh, he was on a contract with a, who was being run by a female agent for, for the CIA, making sure that the opium harvest was kept going. This is the British and Americans working together. Apparently the Brits give information on when a field has been harvested uh, and then tells the Americans, the Americans go in and say, we're destroying this field after it's harvested and flamethrower it and say, well, we've destroyed another poppy field. Yeah, it counts in the statistics. <laughs> exactly. And uh, the operative he was working for, she started kicking off. She started trying to be a whistleblower. And uh, they were drone struck. They were hit with a drone. What the, a surprise. Yep. Yep, it's crazy. They mm. got a warning. They got a 15-minute warning. And uh, yeah, they eventually got drone struck. And he's, he, she, she left, obviously, terrified. And uh, he left that company that he was working for. Mm. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I had the distinct impression I was going to get used, um, that it wouldn't mean anything. And I would be, well, as an officer, maybe I would get hurt. But I definitely oversee men being hurt for no no good reason other than somebody else's profit. 
So yeah, it really, really shattered my worldview. And it took me about seven years to recover from that. But I didn't know that's what my problem was. I had no idea that's what my problem was. Um, and so, yeah, I was in, I was in a holding pattern for, for a long time. And cocaine stimulated me whilst I filled in the gaps. But it did get to the point where I was a daily user. It did get to the point where I would snort coke with my morning coffee. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not a stupid man. I knew that that was a problem. And ironically enough, when I graduated from university, my first job was as a drugs counsellor for the probation service. So I only worked with criminals who, who were criminals because of drug addiction. So I understood the cycle perfectly well. Um, but I, I, I struggled to break it because I was always focused on dealing with my addiction to cocaine. And I never focused on why I was addicted. The root. The root. As soon as I shifted the root, I was fine. Mm. I, it was an amazing cure. I said, I, what I tell people is it took me two days to kick my addiction to cocaine, which was I needed intellectual stimulation. And once I found it, it was done. I didn't need cocaine anymore. I wasn't okay. bored anymore. And where was that uh, enlightenment? Or I mean, where's that moment, the turnaround? Um I mean, there was a few, you know, they say with addicts, you have to hit rock bottom. Mm. There was a few moments, like I remember waking up and I'd already chopped the line the night before that I was going to snort so that I didn't even have to get out of bed before I snorted coke. And I was like, this is, this is not, I woke up and looked at it and was like, this can't be good. This, this can't be how to live. I was doing nightclub security and I was a manager for a security firm on um, construction sites. And I needed to snort a line of coke when I was checking my security guards on the construction site. And I had to wade through mud in a suit to get to the portaloos so I could snort coke. And the guys on the construction site were watching me and I, I, they were just looking at me like, what the fuck are you doing? What is wrong with you? And I certainly felt like they knew what I was doing. And I just remember having this moment of like, I think this might be rock bottom. I think this might be, you know, I need to change my lifestyle. Era. Did you have values on the, on the, you know, like when you were going through the dust in the suits, did you have values on at least? Uh, I actually don't think that I did. <laughs> I don't think that I did. It was, it was so disgusting. Like I became like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings when it came to cocaine. Mm. I was really... I've always been so jealous of people who can snort a few lines of coke at a party and then they just politely wipe their nose and sip their champagne and carry on. I'd be rubbing the board and sticking it in my gums and st I was just, I was an animal. I was, and I could never get high enough. Some people would snort coke and say, that's enough. I was like, what are you talking about? Mm. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. I was just a monster, total monster for it. And I never felt some people would say oh I've had enough I feel paranoid I don't want to do anymore I was like no just keep going do more do more do more and uh, as I'm sure you know um, it eventually induces psychosis I mean you're not sleeping you're high all the time and don't you get paranoid as hell paranoid as hell cranky paranoid you introduce you know some steroids in there as well uh -huh. and a bit of alcohol and eventually I got in trouble fighting and I was working security, so I was getting in fights with people. There's no shortage of people in to Liverpool fight with, to fight yeah. with. And eventually I hurt someone. Were they all Everton fans? I jolly well hope so. Yeah. Those deviant, <laughs> corrupt bastards. <laughs> but but how how um, and how I mean, how can you 
maintain a lifestyle like this, both, I mean, financially and, and, and what about relationships and stuff like that? Oh, I had a wonderful relationship with another drug addict. Uh, we just... Uh, we just cheated on each other all the time and abused each other completely. And um, I, I financed it by being a workaholic. I'm not, you know, my my ancestry is is Irish. We're Irish immigrants, and I have, mm. we went we went to England to work, and it seems to have been burnt into the DNA. So I would knock out um, with the nightclub security. I was a good doorman. I did a good job, and I was so I was well used. And I did a good job for the daytime security. So I could get like a 60-hour week going. So I could afford, I could just about afford it. Just about mm-hmm. afford it. Um, but yeah, my life was was a mess. Total mess. And how and how can you maintain like a relationship with your family or, I mean, your parents? And or, and how, how does that work? My family started uh, to reject me um, and to let it be known that I wasn't welcome. It, it was, it wasn't just the drugs. It wasn't just the nightclub security. Uh, it wasn't just the violence and and the and the chaos. I was, you know, I was really changing. I was becoming a different person, and I was surrounded by low-level criminal, narcissistic psychopaths, and there was more of them than me. And in mm. order to survive in that environment, I became far more psychopathic and narcissistic than I had been going in. Um, and my life was, I'd, I think, it had become a tragedy, but it was on the verge of becoming a total catastrophe. Mm. Because in the end, I'm not a criminal. That's not my inclination. I'm not a gangster. And I found that out. You know, when I got in real trouble, I just got very scared. Mm. When when there was the possibility of prison, I was like, oh, I I don't like this anymore. (laughs) And it scared me straight. And this is what, six, seven years? Yeah, I probably was was in that mess, slowly descending into it for about about seven years. And I Mm. think I got in real trouble. Uh, so I was just started when I was 21 and then by the time I was 28 I had my first taste of real trouble like it was really really bad mm. um, it was either prison or death and it wasn't a vague idea of prison or death it became this could be real for you and um, weirdly prison was more frightening mm. um, the idea that I was actually going to be shot in a room with other men possibly on 23 hour a day lockdown was more frightening than getting shot dead maybe that's not a rational choice but i remember very distinctly at the time thinking jesus no i can't do that that, that would be torture for me total torture mm. um and so yeah i started straightening myself out from from that point and how i mean did you go into any sort of rehab or was there you no. did it on your own or uh i d- <laughs> i did it on my own the way that i did it was i left the country and I took a, f- it was like a firewall in my head. I took a break by going to Tenerife and doing door work. And I just lost all my contacts for drugs. Any friends, any dealers, anybody, just threw them out the phone. I actually got that advice by watching an interview with a, a f- she was famous. I don't know if she is now called Tara Palmer Tomkinson. She was like a British socialite posh girl from London. She burnt through the septum in her nose. She had made a, a hole through her nose, through cocaine use. And she said um, it really is a lifestyle problem rather than a physical problem. And she talked about throwing away her little black book of friends and contacts. So I just deleted them off my phone. And when I went to Tenerife, which was full of cocaine, I actually was living with dealers. <laughs> Crazy. But I, everybody knew that I had a problem. And I established a new identity there, which was I was a drug user. 
I will drink with you. I will drink until we fall unconscious. I'll go out with you. You know, I'm up for partying. You can never, ever offer me any drugs ever. And as dumb as that nightclub and security environment is, once I established those rules, it was like, you don't ever offer Richie anything. Don't, just don't do it. We just, we just don't do that. And nobody pressured me. Nobody ever did. I, d I did end up living with a dealer in Tenerife for a short time who had night blindness. And he used to get drunk and bring girls home and offer them Coke. And one night he'd spilled bags of Coke, little, little 20, 20 euro bags all across the living room floor. I came home, took a shower, walked out with my shoes up with in bare feet. And there was bags of cocaine sticking to the floors of my feet. And I was like, God's really testing me right now. <laughs> He'd have no idea if I snort. But I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Because by that point, I, I really was aware that like of how much damage it had done me. It really had done me no favors whatsoever and had uh, wasted uh, some good years of my life. And mm. I, I'm vain about my intelligence I have intellectual vanity and I was like hmm if this actually starts if the coke starts corroding brain cells I would be pissed off and uh, and then you're basically well around 30 around this time right mm -hmm. and uh, and then you then you start using this NLP this neural linguistic program that's right that's right. Did you use that? I mean, uh, well, first of all, maybe what what is that? I mean, in, for for us common people, <laughs> for the for the uninitiated, um, it's a it's a type of it's probably best understood as a kind of self help psychology. It came out of California in the nineteen seventies, which tells you a lot. That context, that time. Um, sort of like westernized buddhism enlightenment new age movement post hippie so you had the hippies and then they were moving into becoming the hippies became yuppies so they needed a transitory philosophy and there were many of them people became more materialistic and so it was it's created by a guy who's into computing and a guy who was into linguistics um and i think they they jacked a lot of the stuff that was like, they're, they're open about it. They took things from Fritz Perls with Gestalt therapy, a ton of Ericksonian hypnosis. Um, they just stole a bunch of concepts from a bunch of people, put them together. Uh, there was elements of Maxwell Maltz, psychocybernetics. There was other motivational speakers of, you know, there was the New Thought movement. It was, it's very American. There was the New Thought movement. Then there's been this thrust this awkward sort of combination of philosophy, psychology, and American materialism, consumerism together. And it has created these sort of hybrid sort of philosophies, psychologies, and NLP is one of them. Mm. That sounds very dismissive. Um, I actually think NLP in its essence is a very, very good tool, but it's so steeped in this cultural baggage that it's hugely associated with smarmy, salespeople, manipulation, and narcissistic psychopathy, ironically enough. Um, yeah, because I, I just, uh, when I started reading about it, then I wouldn't say it has a good name no. to it. I mean, no. I was surprised, actually, because I had heard the term, or yeah. seen the abbreviation multiple yeah. times, and I've heard about it, but yeah. uh, 
I hadn't really read about it, and then when I started reading about it, I said, okay, th- th- this has been given some sort of a bad name, almost yes. like a cult yes. f- feeling. Well, because it functions as a cult, unfortunately. Um, and at least one of the founders has grandiose narcissism, at least. Uh, probably psychopathy as well. Um, he's, a, he's a textbook grandiose narcissist. And unfortunately, there is really good stuff in there, but they can't help overstating their claims. Now, if you want to say that you're doing psychology, well, then you're, you know, whether you like it or not, you're saying you're doing science or at least you're attempting to be scientific. And some of the claims are just absurd. They're Mm -hmm. totally Mm non-scientific. And when they've been tested in laboratory environments, they've been torn apart because, of course, they would be (laughs) stupid, stupid assertions not based in any any real research or any, uh, you know, anything that would even approach being an acceptable level to, for a scientific standard. Uh-huh. Um, the good elements of it are the frame that it comes from, which is human beings run patterns of behavior. They function like computers, or we should say computers are a representation of the human mind. We run programs. Those programs can be interrupted and we can alter them. That's all fine. The emphasis on hypnotherapy, I think, is good. I think hypnotherapy is a really valid and underused tool because, similarly, it has a bad name. Not because of anything that hypnotherapists have done. It's the way it's portrayed in the media. So you're always in a fight with a client between their view of what hypnotherapy is and then what it actually is. Um, so there are there are really good elements to it, which is why I still say I use NLP because, I'm not going to lie, I do use NLP. It's a, it's a major element of the approach that I have it's, a, it's part of my worldview, my gestalt for how I do trauma-based uh, therapeutic work with people. So if, if, I mean, to kind of dumb it down, so, so the theory is that we, we run behavioral patterns mm-hmm. repeatedly, and, mm-hmm. the, and I guess then that those are the patterns that, I don't know, maintain a phobia, let's say, mm-hmm. if I was scared of um, yep. spiders. Yep. How would neurolinguistic programming be attributed or, con- or how to say used as a tool to help me with that it would say um you've learned to be afraid of spiders it would never look at a genetic component or childhood trauma it's completely dismissive of trauma which is one of its major faults and mm-hmm. why if it doesn't update in the next few years it could find itself getting cancelled by the sjw's because the, fa- the founders and some of the main proponents, especially in the UK, are very, very um, not careful in dismissing childhood trauma. They even say, if, you're, if you blame it on childhood trauma, you're doing it to yourself. That's you doing it to you. That's the NLP perspective, which is completely insane mm-hmm. and wrong. Um, what NLP would say of a spider phobia would be, you learned how to do this. You're continuing to do it to yourself, so stop. What is it that you're doing? You're running a strategy for phobia. What is a strategy in the simplest language possible? You are playing a certain video inside of your head of what spiders are and what they do. You're creating sensations in your body and you're telling yourself something. So they go through the visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. All of this is true. They would then seek to change that video, change the audio, and change the kinesthetic feeling associated with the spider by a various means all of this is completely acceptable and does often work not always but frequently does work um so they would 
perhaps whatever the video is, we would identify to a nuance what it is. Whatever the audio is, we would identify it to a nuance, to a very specific degree. And whatever the feeling is, we would identify it. And then you start shifting the coordinates. So if the video you're playing is of the spider in black and white and huge and above you, we would make it small and in color and have the spider moving in slow motion over there. If the video has really scary music on it, here's a spider, we would have it be silly music or funny music or sad music. And we'd keep changing that with the client until the client says, okay, I feel better. That's it. Aha, uh -huh. so you kind of basically reproduce the situation, but you change some, let's say, inputs or, or some, some, something in the circumstance, like you say, some nuance. That's it. Is Aha, uh -huh. okay, I got it. Uh, that's, that sounds pretty it, it's, basic. It yeah, it's basic. And they, they call these things internal representations, uh, which is it's just how you represent reality to yourself, which you do. It, it uh, implies that you have agency over your internal representations, which you do to a degree. Um, it's, it's, not a, it's not the full puzzle of human psychology and of uh, mental health issues. If it were, none of us would smoke, none of us would drink, nobody would have mental health issues because NLP has been easily been around long enough to go around the world 15 million times and have cured everyone. It hasn't yeah, done yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, and, but, but you have also, I mean, you, you used NLP um, and and you've kind of specialized in 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 narcissism and narcissistic behaviors. Mm -hmm. So, again, for the the uneducated mm -hmm. <laughs> people like me, uh, what, what is narcissism? Um. So historically, it it goes back to Freud. Um, he identified that a child would go through a phase of being completely selfish and of completely um, self-directive there was nothing the child would do that wasn't about feeding its own needs S Freudian psychoanalysts who came after he died called it healthy narcissism um, he didn't coin the term narcissistic personality disorder he identified that there is something called narcissism that all children should go through and he identified it as a developmental stage later on it became seen as something that could potentially become toxic that if the child was traumatized <clears throat> and they were retarded in that that stage of growth and stuck there and they tried to take a toddler's mindset through into adolescence and adulthood that they would become unbearable obnoxious dominating manipulative brats who saw the world through the eyes of a spoiled three or four year old toddler um which is a pretty good definition for most people. Like, what is narcissistic personality disorder? Sounds fancy, but just think of an adult who's essentially a brat. They're just a spoiled three-year-old. They're cruel, they're vindictive, they're sadistic, they're mean-spirited, they're manipulative. They're only focused on what they want. They don't care who gets hurt as long as they get what they want. And their worldview is infantile. They think like a tiny, tiny child. And everything is all about them because... Um, they have no ego boundaries, so they consume the whole world. The whole world becomes them, and they see no other people in it. Um, so if you're in contact with a narcissist, the narcissist never sees you. They internalize you, and you become an internalized object, which means you're just a piece of furniture in their world, and that's all you ever can be. <laughs> that's really, really interesting. Yeah. 
and and why why did you go into this? I mean, why why did you choose now? Why did you choose narcissism? Yeah. I mean, why? Yeah. How come that route? It, it kind of it kind of chose me. So I was I was combining psychology and neurolinguistic programming with self defense. That's how I got a name in the self defense field, and I got I got a big name. You know, it 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 went it went really well. I was I trained a few MMA fighters to prepare for fights. But I was also helping like SWAT team members prepare for um, violent scenarios. And at one point, I was I I was being in regular contact with the London Riot Center and the United States Air Marshals. Obviously, they're not as important now. But in the 15 years following 9/11, they were huge, hmm. really important part of um, air safety. But that's when they put they put marshals on every flight, right? Yeah, they yeah. literally had an armed guard on every flight because. God bless them. They believed that 9/11 was created. Yeah. <laughs> These chaps with box cutters flying commercial airliners into buildings. Yeah. Um, so it was an. If you believe that, what's the next thing to do? Well, terrorists are getting onto our flights and hijacking the planes. Better put a policeman there to sh- to shoot them or choke them unconscious or whatever it is. So, combining uh, the psychology and the self defense together proved very very popular. Mm. NLP fit very very well into that environment. Um, what I was finding though with a lot of the, you know, bodyguards, soldiers, uh, combatives, instructors, MMA fighters that I was talking to is a lot of them were pushovers interpersonally. They could go out and fight 10 bastards and kill them all, but they couldn't have an argument with their wife without sweating and crying, or they couldn't get into an, you know, assert themselves if somebody jumped the queue in front of them, they could pull out a gun and shoot you, but they couldn't say, Hey dude, like there's a queue here couldn't do that and I noticed that tendency in myself as well so because I wanted to get back into psychology I started providing like a a coaching service for martial arts people predominantly men which is why I chose the name Spartan Life Coach it was an adjunct to my original business which was called streetfightsecrets.com so that grew I created a YouTube channel around that and then my Street Fight Secrets YouTube channel was cancelled for being too violent. And so I just started focusing on Spartan Life Coach. One day I got asked, are criminals, predators, and narcissists and psychopaths? And I was like, yeah, I knew those terms. And somebody said to me, can you talk about the daughters of narcissistic mothers? And I was like, okay, I'll research it for you and I'll do a video for you. But obviously I'm not the daughter of a narcissistic mother. I did that and that video went viral Mm -hmm. um, in a very, very short period of time. So... It was a symbiotic relationship with the audience I had. Uh, they wanted me to talk about narcissism. They wanted me to explain psychopathy to them. So the more I did, the more I learned about it. And then seven years later, uh, here I am, knowing far more about narcissistic personality disorder than I really want to. But but there it is. But why? How could you could you somehow identify it with yourself? Or, or did I mean some personal experiences that? Yes, I mean I was I was raised in a, a very very narcissistic and abusive, uh, highly abusive uh, family unit. Um, my father actually is not long out of jail for uh, abusing members, children in his first family, who eventually in adulthood took him to court. Um, but it was it was a it was an awful uh, childhood environment. Uh, to be raised in it was a lot of violence guilting shaming uh, weird sexual stuff uh, going on a lot of alcohol and it, it was bad it was really, really bad um 
and I could see in myself this uh, tendency towards codependency and people-pleasing in certain scenarios with certain people. I mean, with girlfriends, I was useless, total pushover. Uh, the kids call them beta males and simps. I am a beta male and a simp. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I could identify with that, absolutely. And uh, the more I saw of that, the more I realized that my life up until that point was a story of my response to childhood trauma and narcissistic abuse. From that, I started to study the work of Pete Walker, um, who was who'd written books about complex post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, which really, really is a gateway to understanding pretty much all mental health issues. Like 90% of mental health issues can be understood um, through the lens of... Um, traumatic experiences if not in childhood at least an experience where you can't escape uh, abusive marriages abusive institutions prisons schools whatever they can all create uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder in people mm. and this um, uh, like uh, i guess because you're saying like you you looked back on your own life and you saw in your family patterns that that were abusive and unhealthy mm-hmm. but i guess you didn't really know it when it was ongoing as a child or as a teenager that, that or i mean you then did you know back then that there was something wrong or you just uh, thought okay this is how it is uh i knew that something was wrong but back to narcissism um from a singular point of consciousness as a child when we are narcissistic as we're supposed to be you are the world and the world is you. There are no ego boundaries. So if mummy and daddy are fighting with each other and you're three or four years old, you don't understand that that's their problem. You think it's you that's doing it because you're kind of, you kind of have a godlike status. You are the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is you. You're God and you're Adam and Eve and you're the snake and you're the tree. You're everything. And so this is where the real damage is done. I can't say, oh, you know, my dad's an alcoholic psychopath who womanizes and my mother has problems from home. I couldn't do that when I was four years old. Hmm. That was just my reality. So my worldview when I grew up was skewed. Um, I was like a mini Gnostic. I, I looked at the world and I was like, the world's mad. The world is insane. Some corruption has entered here. People are violent, aggressive moody joyless why like why is everybody so pissed off why do we drive these ugly fucking smelly noisy cars why do we why is everything so ugly in this world um so like i was this sensitive little artistic gnostic kid Mm. uh which manifest by the time i was 13 i was regularly dropping acid and i'd be like why does the world look like this man i was like a little hippie (laughs) um and so i knew something was up I knew there was something, and I knew it was damaging me. I knew it was poisoning me, uh, and I wanted to try and find a way of of resolving it. I wanted to fix it. And how, like, um, I don't know, maybe for 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 people who, how do they, how do I know as a person that I'm a victim of of narcissism? You know, how can I? Is there like a, a list, checklist? Yeah. Well, what I would say um, after after seven years of doing this is if you've if you've ever asked that question or you've ever looked for a checklist or you've ever looked on YouTube 
and searched, how do I know if I'm the victim of narcissistic abuse? It's highly likely that you are. Like people who aren't don't bother. So one of the things that narcissistic abuse does is it leaves you with a very profound sense of doubt. It leaves you doubting your own perceptions and it leaves you doubting your sense of self. And it turns you into um, an investigator. Narcissistic abuse leaves... Investigating yourself. Everything. Uh Everything. Because narcissistic abuse really damages your perceptual filters and your sense of who you are in the world. And it, it leaves you obsessive and thirsty. Thirsty for truth. Thirsty for answers. Leaves you with this enduring sense that you haven't been quite told everything yet. Um, So a lot of people who are into psychology, into magic, and into conspiracy theory, they're all pushing in the same direction in the psychoanalytic sense. Ironically enough, psychoanalysis is also a kind of conspiracy theory. It's also occultism. I imagine Freud and Jung and Adler, the major proponents of psychoanalysis, were all raised in fairly abusive... Well, we know that they were raised in fairly abusive environments. I say this because psychoanalysis is investigating the dark. It's fundamentally, it's investigating the unconscious with the presupposition that there's something there in the unconscious. Yeah, that something is wrong. Something is up. Mm. And that if we look, we can find an answer. Mm. That's that's the roots of modern day psychotherapy. Whether people like Freud or not, you can't escape him. Like mm. people, you get these people like, oh, he's a patriarchal misogynist. And then in the next sentence, they're using concepts that he gave them. <laughs> I'm mm. Like, yeah, he may have been a dick from Vienna in the ninth, in the late 1800s and 1900s, but okay, who wasn't? Mm. <laughs> like, who didn't talk like that mm. or think like that? Um, and so there is an occultism to it. Plus, of course, we know Freud, and uh, Freud was a conspiracy theorist, mm. um, and so was Jung. He was an occultist, an open occultist. He studied magical systems, and so did. Uh, Freud in his way it's like we wasn't as open about it as young so those of us who look to the dark who look to the occult who look to investigate who look to conspiracy theory I think as a somebody coming from the psychoanalytic theoretical tradition it's based on a scar that points you in a certain direction there's something in the dark that you don't know kid if you go and look you'll find something that will help you feel better. Mm. Sometimes it does. Sometimes you're just wandering around in the dark, you know, ch- chasing your own tail. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think there, is a, there is a patterning that happens from the trauma of childhood that leads people in that direction. But uh, <clears throat> those who haven't kind of uh, maybe identified it but are, are in it, like, are there any... I mean, maybe going back to the checklist, but are there some telltale traits, like you mentioned with uh, with the child, mm-hmm. the toddler, mm-hmm. having that grandiose idea about the universe and mm-hmm. I'm the center of everything? Mm-hmm. Is if, if we're talking about maybe, let's say, a parent-child uh, relationship and, mm-hmm. and, and narcissism in that sense, what would be like a telltale trait, like two, three things that you should notice? If, you know, if, if you're being treated this way, then it's most likely a narcissist. Um, first of all would be the massive amount of self-doubt and the tendency to investigate the second thing would be severe emotional dysregulation which would usually manifest um, it it can go right the way through the spectrum to full-blown psychosis but 
drug use, gambling, drinking, uh, sexual promiscuity, self-harm, overeating, undereating, all of these can be seen as an effort to reclaim the physiology um, the, and to reclaim the somatic state because we just don't feel good. Mm. The victims of narcissism abuse just don't feel good. You're just mm. walking around, you feel shit. No reason. It's, it's just like filling up a black hole somehow. Or trying to, trying yeah. to. I mean, I've even seen it with the way some parents are with their kids. I'm like, okay, you know, whatever interaction I just saw, if we timed that by 10,000 incidents during a child's formative years, they'll grow up feeling weird and sad like I did. They'll mm -hmm. grow up feeling not comfortable in their own skin because they're not with what the psychologists now call good enough parents. Parents don't need to be perfect. They're human, but they need to be good enough. Mm. If you are incapable of holding space for a child, if you're incapable of showing a child love and attention and uh, providing decent boundaries for them, the child will grow up emotionally dysregulated. And there mm. are physical, physical issues that go with that. I think the third major sign of... Um, of narcissistic abuse that I would identify would also be major changes in the physiological state or major changes in the personality. So if you're looking to identify an adult, are they in a narcissistic abusive relationship? Did they lose or gain a ton of weight? Did they become uh, insomniacs or alcoholics during that period? Um, and is their personality changing? Are they, are they becoming more narcissistic themselves? Mm. Are they developing more narcissistic defenses, more narcissistic traits? Are they becoming more vain, more arrogant, more entitled, more in love with a delusional concept of themselves? Um, these are the indicators, I think. For so these these abuse. things you just said now, like mm. the the, the um, entitlement and that, the, mm. I mean, these are behavioral patterns of a narcissist. Yeah. So being entitled, being uh, vindictive, mm -hmm. um, you don't want people around you to feel good. You, That's you right. and and you you seek the attention. So it's very actually it's interesting when you said it's it's a very childish approach yeah. to life. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you said that you did this video about, uh, or you you were kind of prompted to make that video that went viral that was about. Mm -hmm. uh, mothers and daughters and, and mm -hmm. mom being narcissist and the daughter mm -hmm. being the victim. Yeah. Is there a difference between a male narcissist and a, and a female? I mean, is there, is there, or is it's the same thing? It's, um, it's, <laughs> it's one of these, it's one of these, uh, the great unifiers, um, of, of this world in which we find ourselves in is evil. Um, it's the same everywhere. You yeah. could be African, Ugandan 63 year old woman you know 21 year old Japanese male it doesn't matter they say the same shit they use the same phrases everywhere in the world I've dealt with clients from all over all kinds of circumstances evil shows up the same way yeah, if you're going to be a dick and you're Japanese you're going to be a dick in a Japanese way if you're a dick and you're Australian but the, the core is the same. Not, mm. I mean, narcissism is um, sad to say. Unfortunately, it's one of the key components of, of humanity and it's one of the great unifiers. Mm. Once you boil things down to narcissism and psychopathy, you know, every great war between extremely different cultures, the people who ran those wars, they had way more in, in similarity than they had in difference. Yeah, yeah. Which is why what, you know, what we saw in World War II was these lunatics joining up with each other holding hands, skipping down the road for a bit, 
and then falling out with each other again, you know, a couple of months later over some perceived slight or insult or then slaughtering each other because they're alike. It was interesting. I read read this book in Iceland. It was was Childhood of of Dictators, Mm. something. They took like 10... 15 different dictators and mm. they 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 covered their childhood and teenage years and then mm. of course some some of their kind of adult mm. uh, um, let's say political career or, or mm. whatever and and it was really really interesting that they were all kind of you could see the same thing in all of them mm. as mm. you're saying that's a unifier absolutely um yeah i just did a little bit of my own research the other day on ho chi Minh, and uh yeah he was in the book was he really yeah and you just think vain, arrogant, delusional. Uh, one of the interesting things I read about Ho Chi Minh, it's not his real name. It's a, I can't even, it's a reference to some other great person in yeah, history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, it, his name he chose means like the glowing or enlightened version of Mr. Ho. You know, he's the better version of this other hero. You think, you arrogant prick. <laughs> 50 different pseudonyms used in his whole life. Nobody really knew his personal history because he lied through his mm. ass. Mm. Arrogant beyond belief. And, and they all do the same thing. Uh, beyond race and ethnicity and national boundaries, they all harness the frustrations of the working class. Mm. They all harness the frustrations of the farm workers and people who are ill-educated. Um, it's not very politically correct to say it, but it's historically true. Yeah. From Hitler, Stalin, Ho Chi Minh, name it. They, they, they harness people's frustration and ignorance, and they promise them some utopia. Listen, brothers, sisters, we must do a terrible thing. But don't worry, history will absolve us. Yeah. Just over that hill is a utopia where we'll all live <laughs> happily ever after. What happens over the hill? Everybody who just fought their way up the hill turns on each other and yeah. there's, the snake eats its own tail. Yeah. Every time. Every time. And here we are at this particular point in 2020 where we seem like we're ready to repeat history again. <laughs> so, narcissism is, um, um, let's say, uh, this grandiose idea of yourself and um, what's I mean is is the line between like self worth, self love, and narcissism is that is that a fine line or is like what sets it apart? Well, people aren't going to like this, but tough because it's it's actually true to the terminology. You're supposed to have narcissism, so no, there's no line. Your self love is narcissism. Your um, your grandiosity, so that you have the courage to go out into the world and declare yourself great at building apps or, I don't know, teaching self-defense or, or whatever it is, should be there. That's a, it's an intrinsic component. So it's not you go through some evil demonic phase when you're a child and you leave it behind. You're supposed to integrate it. You're supposed to have um, a sense of self that is strong. You need an ego. Forget the misinterpreted uh, Eastern bullshit that, that Westerners got wrong and, and now even Easterners get wrong. You, you would, nobody's advocated for the obliteration of the ego. Nobody, ever. There's no, Hinduism doesn't, Buddhism doesn't. This is all a, a misinterpretation. You should have strong, healthy boundaries, hmm. but you shouldn't be attached. <laughs> That's all they were saying is don't, don't get hooked. Don't get hooked on your story. Don't get, don't get hooked into it. So 
the line is not between narcissism and healthy self-love. The line is between narcissism and a toxic, malignant attachment to a story of who you are that is not true. Mm-hmm. That, by definition, and people won't like me saying this either, but it's it's not me saying this. This is the definition of the term. Um, it must be, to use the psychology term, maladaptive, which means it hurts you. So it doesn't just hurt the people around you. For it to be a personality disorder, it must hurt you as well. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association. That's what they say. And I would th- I use their manual. I, I use that assessment um, to understand narcissism. And I think it's the correct way to look at it. Because anything else, I think we have to start saying, okay, that's not really a personality disorder. That's just a learned pattern of behavior that can be unlearned. Narcissistic personality disorder can't be in my humble opinion, it would be very hard to unlearn that because it's something that the adult that you have in front of you has been doing for as long as they can remember. It's something they've been doing since before they can remember. They have no other way of interacting with the world. I don't know. So you're saying they can't be healed? I'm saying it's with our current modern legal modalities of healing. No, no, they can't be healed. People place way too much faith in therapy and therapists and people in positions of authority, PhDs, people who have YouTube channels and so on and so forth. Like Therapy is a conversation between two adults. If you consent and if you follow along with the therapist and if the therapist is good and if the rapport is good, you may make some progress over months. It's not magic. It's, it's not like surgery. You could take a narcissist, you could take a humanitarian, you could take a communist, a capitalist, and you knock them out, you give them knee surgery, pat them on the bum and send them out the door. This is not that. Mm. This is, it's just two adults talking. Now, if you gave me a gulag brainwashing scenario with uh, an NPD and we waived all their human rights, I probably could get some movement but I would reduce them to an infantile state through some fairly unpleasant tactics that would effectively be the kind of thing that are done to political prisoners. Water, w- waterboarding. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, the thing is with the thing is with torture. Um, we know this, or or people right before they're about to be killed, people under torture, and people as they're being right before execution, they call for their mothers. It's not. The special forces soldier who's tough as nails isn't calling for his mother right before he dies. He's regressed. His, his ego has dissolved and now he's become four years old again. And it's the only, he's calling out to some sort of salvation as a child. So I wouldn't waterboard them, <laughs> even, if he, even if their family members ask me to, if their ex-wives, ex-husbands ask me to. But... I would need to control their sleep, their calories and everything. And you would they would be on like forced meditation protocols. They would probably be microdosing psychedelics. They would probably would be um, being compelled to do empathy exercises. And even then, I don't know whether I could do it. I re- it's a, so it's an unrealistic thing. I you mean, just can't. I no. mean, you, you just you can't wait. Like I would be arrested for <laughs> multiple crimes for even attempting it. Um Okay, so you can't fix them. 
But then you need to learn to deal with them. Yes. So, so as a victim of narcissism, mm. what, like, how, how I've granted that I can't change the person who is narcissistic, mm. whether it's a parent mm. or a spouse or a mm. coworker or whatever. Mm. What do I do then? As a victim, how? Because I guess I can change myself. Or you, you really the first step, and it's the hardest step, and not everybody gets there. You have to give up. You have to give up hope. Many people think they've given up hope, and they haven't. You have to give up hope. That's not a person. You can talk to your boyfriend, your girlfriend, like this, but you can't talk to your mother who is a narcissist, or your boss who is a narcissist, or blah 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 who is a narcissist, like that. You can't share any information with them. It's like um, in Silence of the Lambs where Dr. Chilton is prepping Agent Starling to meet Hannibal Lecter. She says, do not approach the glass. Do not touch the glass. Do not hand anything to Dr. Lecter. Don't let him hand anything to you. And I think her boss says to her before she goes to meet him, do not let him inside your head. Stay away. The, the more distance, the better. The more minimized the contact, the better. If you can never speak to them again, please do. Um, if you have shared custody or a will to go through or they're your boss or you have a bad power dynamic where you simply can't escape them, minimize all contact to the... So if you have the opportunity to speak to somebody for five minutes and you can find an excuse to speak to them for only one, do that. If they send you a text that's three texts long, reply back with five words. Always less, um, but none at all would be better. You can't win. You can't win. So give up hope that they're going to interact with you as a human being and give up hope on winning. There's mm. no winning. That you, you, you won't beat them at their game that they've been trained in since they were three years old. There's just, there's just no way. So, so um, what about uh, if this is, let's say, a parent and you, you still want to be in touch with them. I mean, mm -hmm. you still love your parents. Mm -hmm you understand the limitations and, mm. and, and so on and and not all the not everything in relationship is pleasant, etc, etc. You left frustrated many times, but how do you so you would say minimize contact mm -hmm. um, should you like, should the contact or the communication be in a specific way or about specific topics i mean when you say don't let them into your head that's that's maybe yeah you've you've really got to reframe your relationship with them i mean mother is a noun but mothering is a verb father is a noun but fathering is a verb if they didn't do any mothering or they didn't do any fathering they're only merely a mother or a father in name and a lot of people in the narcissistic abuse community will say you know, sp sperm donor or egg donor because there was no fathering done. There was no mothering done. Um, so that's a useful reframe. They're not actually really your father. Other people have probably done better jobs of fathering or mothering than they have in your life that you could name off the top of your head, mm -hmm. which tells you all you need to know. Um, and then scrub your communication clean emotionally of any hope, which is really hard to do. I mean, that's your that's your biological source at the end of the day biologically that's your mum biologically that's your dad but you must engage in the discipline if you're going to keep contact with them of scrubbing the emotional hope because a little boy a little girl inside all the people listening who will hope that mummy or daddy's going to show up mm. they're never coming nobody's coming mm. sorry kids that's <laughs> really positive um, but, <laughs> um what if what if that person who caused you or you 
the nasty if if that person is dead mm-hmm. and uh, but you still kind of wanna you you're still burdened by it mm-hmm. what do you do that's where therapy helps i think mm-hmm. like good talk therapy um and a lot of the therapeutic and counseling tools that have been developed over the years you know developed long before i was born uh, journaling writing letters to that person um even visiting historical incidents as an adult, writing about how it made you feel at the time when you were a child, how you feel now about it, looking backwards in time as an adult, what should have happened, what was right and wrong about what happened. Establishing good moral boundaries around these events and these people is a really helpful thing to do Mm. because their authority in your life causes you to tumble backward into moral relativism, which is a plague of our age. Um, and you really need to reestablish, like, this was right, this was wrong, I still love you, but you don't do that to a child. Mm. Nobody should ever do that to a child. It's illegal, it's immoral, and it shouldn't have happened, so mm. on and so forth. This can be this can be helpful. Mm. Because I guess that that's the important thing, is to kind of let go and forgive, in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not saying that the behavior was right, but mm-hmm. you're saying, I'm not going to try to mm-hmm. get this fixed somehow. I think uh, the word forgive uh, is different for Europeans than for Americans. It really winds Americans up if you start talking about forgiveness. My suspicion is because America has, has got its historical roots. Even if you're American and you say you're an atheist now, your cultural coordinates are still very religious. Mm. So what you're talking about is 100% correct. It's an unburdening. A, yeah, let, a letting go of for you yeah. selfishly. Yeah. So let's be really intentional with that. It's an unburdening for you. Mm. It's nothing to do with saying that what they did was okay or that God absolves them or they get their entry ticket back into the five-star Hilton of heaven or, or whatever, whatever it is. Mm. But yes, you must. You can't carry that. You yeah. get sick. You know, we may very well find out one day through the studies of psychoneuroimmunology that this kind of resentment could directly lead to things like cancer. Mm. We certainly know already that the stress of it can lead to heart conditions. We know it weakens the immune system, which could cause the onset of things like cancer. It definitely means that you're going to be more prone to addiction and a whole host of other issues. So you must unburden selfishly. You must detach. You've got to find a way. We call it. We could call it letting go. We could call it forgiveness. We could call it whatever you like. Um, but you must find a way of letting go of that burden of hatred. Mm. Yeah, I've, 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 I think I read this somewhere, like that the forgiveness is is not for the, the perpetrator; it's for me yeah. to be able to let this stop yes. affecting my life. Yes. And, and I, yeah, when I saw that, I felt it makes sense because I think a lot of people spend a lot of time feeling angry and and bad about something that they can't change anyway. Yes. So. As soon as you kind of let that leave, then, yeah, by nature, you should be feeling better. Yes. Yeah, it reminds me of, um, there was a martial arts instructor, and he's a published published author as well. He's done very well. Jeff Thompson from uh, Coventry. Uh, and I had the chance to speak to him a couple of times when I was very young. And he was very influential in, in my life and my worldview. And he said with um, childhood trauma, sexual abuse it's like the person possesses you and so you're living with a ghost he says you can't you can't be walking around possessed Mm. you can't it's tiring 
It's mm. exhausting. You can't be walking around full of ghosts. You gotta you gotta let that go. Yeah. Somehow, some way, yeah. however however suits the individual listener. Mm. Um so you uh, I think you said in I thought I think I saw it on your your um Instagram or something like that. Uh which is Richard Grannon, right? It's at Richard Grannon, yeah. 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 Um you were talking about um societal narcissism somehow mm-hmm. um what's the, is that has society become narcissistic somehow yeah we've been i think um the first books warning of this uh that came out go back to the 70s and were written by american authors about america um we've we're 100% it's undeniable that our cultural coordinates massively encourage narcissism i would even say we've managed over time uh to in the west certainly to invert certain cultural values so you wouldn't put honor and courage and truth and integrity at the top we've inverted it so you'd put greed and um savagery and machiavellianism at the top and i would even go further and claim that narcissism is now a cultural value. So you won't just be congratulated for being greedy and psychopathic like the Wolf of Wall Street. Everybody stood around and clapped this guy. Nobody thought about all the fucking old people he'd ripped off Mm. so that he could live like a lunatic and and spend, blast all his his money on uh, hookers and cocaine. Um, Narcissism itself is applauded. So if you get up on stage and just do something completely narcissistic, people applaud you. Mm. for winning the game of narcissism. This has been that way uh, since easily since 2010, for at least the last 10 years. Slowly, year on year and month by month, it ramps up. You can't keep pushing the same button and get the same level of stimulation. That's not how humans work. So we're moving beyond narcissism now into a much more dangerous period uh, of narcissistic psychopathy. Mm. Um, this has been identified uh, by... A guy I've worked with a number of times. He he has a YouTube channel called Sam Vaknin. Um, he's an Israeli psychology professor, and he's pointed out we're we're, we're wait. Narcissism is cute. Narcissism is like vanity plus. What we're really going to be facing is narcissistic psychopathy. There's nothing fucking cute about that. That's really dangerous. That's what really will that savage. be? I mean, how does that? So what what you will have? I mean, like narcissism, classic grandiose narcissism. Um is look at me, look at me, I'm fantastic. And it's it's essentially, as a personality disorder, it all runs on vanity. Narcissus mm. looked into the mirror, fell in love with his own reflection. It's, it's vanity. Mm. People ask me like, when the narcissist does this, what do they mean? And, da, ba, da, ba, and these complicated serpentine questions with multiple layers. And I'll always reduce it down to saying, well, look, wherever the narcissist is getting narcissistic supply from, that's the key component. How does the behavior pertain to narcissistic supply? Is your husband cheating on you? Will it give him narcissistic supply? Is my wife doing this to upset me? Does it give a narcissistic supply? That's it. Not so with a narcissistic psychopath. You have hugely engorged levels of entitlement and exploitation mixed with a Machiavellianism and a perverted set of moral values like an inverted moral value system because psychopaths have values but they're not the values that you and i would understand they're the values of a criminal in prison somebody you know dog eat dog 
hit first, otherwise, you know, you know, hit first, otherwise yeah. the other guy's going to kill you kind of thing. So sociopathic. Really nasty. Mm. Really like a nasty clawing to get to the top of the shit heap is mm. what we're already saying. Mm. So it will become more aggressive. It will become more violent uh, emotionally, if not physically. Some of the outbursts of violence that we've seen recently are rooted in psychopathic narcissism. They're rooted in a worldview that is totally delusional, mm. totally ahistorical, totally counterfactual, totally non-scientific, totally against the data. And I, we, I can back that claim up because we now have um, hashtags like hashtag ban science. Hashtag cancel science is a real thing. People can mm. go look it up. Because anything that disrupts my view of who I am and what I deserve must be destroyed. That's when we're moving into very dangerous psychopathic territory because they'll follow through. Narcissists, the grandiose narcissists, they usually don't go to jail. They usually don't get caught because they really are very, cons they're vain. They want to preserve their image. Psychopaths don't give a shit about their image. Mm. They couldn't care less. Mm. You combine these two things together, it's really nasty. Mm. You will have people demanding at gunpoint that you give them the narcissistic supply that they want, whether that's through kneeling, literally kneeling in front of them, bowing in front of them effectively, saying magical words that they want you to say or whatever it is. They will force submission. They'll force narcissistic supply from you. That's yeah, crazy. Mm. Um, so you, you deliver this stuff. Um, I see you're big online, YouTube, uh, mm -hmm. Instagram. Um, you wrote a book, Spartan Life Coach. I've written a couple of short books, uh, around narcissism, like how to get revenge on a narcissist and narcissism secrets, that, that type of thing. I'm in the process of writing a book. Uh, it's got the working title, Just an Echo which is about the effects of narcissistic abuse. That'll mm. be out early next year. And this, when you when you get into this, because I read, read uh, I think on your homepage, I read that you said that you you kind of went online so that you could reach a larger audience versus, mm -hmm. I guess that, and how does that work in this when you are um, doing a personalized consultancy with a person versus mm. designing a message that can help a larger group of people? Is mm -hmm. it, is it, is it easy to kind of make a generic? I mean, are, are narciss is narcissism so similar that you can actually kind of boil it down to basics and make a mass product out of it? You, you can. It's easier for me to do it like that. It's better for the client if if they're getting individual coaching. Mm. Um, it's just not practical, and I'm not I'm not built for it. Uh, individual coaching leaves me with physical symptoms. I get sick. My glands swell up. Um, I, and I really, I don't mind it at the time that I'm doing it, but to swim in your, like in order to give you insight, um, I'm probably doing something that counselors and therapists shouldn't do. Uh, I try to experience your childhood trauma as you, as a child, which is, it's, it's, you know, you'd be happy with it. You go, oh, this is really cool. You've given me amazing insight here. Yeah, but Thank you, you leave left like a squeezed I'm lemon. Fucked. Yeah. I'm absolutely fucked by it. And, Part of it is, uh, part of it. I kind of, I kind of think like it's, it's quite hor it's quite horrifying. At a certain level, 
at the unconscious level and and also just i think psychically uh, not in the woo woo sense but in the jungian sense that you have uh, energy in the psyche it's very draining it's mm. very very draining four clients a day doing that maybe i only do that for 15 minutes with each client but it it it's it really uh, squeeze lemon is the right way mm. right way to look at it yeah mm. but um so you're kind of let's say you're very much um how do you say branded in this field mm-hmm. i guess mm-hmm. um so if people would like to check it out where where would that be w- uh, where can they find this stuff if they just put richard granin into uh youtube uh ton of my videos will come up um there's a there's f- there's a free course available from spartanlifecoach.com um and there's a b- bunch of stuff oh there's the there's a whole course that's available for free that's called the fortress mental health protection system that takes you from a to z uh, as far as dealing with uh, cptsd goes Mm -hmm. Uh, and and it will help you find relief for the majority of uh, mental health issues that are out there Mm -hmm. so that that's that on the on the on the narcissism and nlp but um, i wanted to kind of check in with you about how it is currently because now we've got these lockdowns this mm-hmm. covid situation and all these um changes that have taken place i mean um what 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 are you seeing there i mean what what do you get i don't know like your followers or your your clients mm. or or, or do, do you get some feedback on this are you seeing something now around this yeah i've had um clients and followers sending me emails from months for months all over the world because um i asked them to uh who are working in hospitals and people who are working in covid wards and um they do it anonymously and they don't want me to repeat what's in the emails or say names but i think that the how should i put it the the consensus that i have seen is that there is a virus um, it's enormously dangerous to the vulnerable. It's it's really does. Uh, I think there was a Chinese doctor who came out maybe three weeks ago, and she was saying this is this has to be lab grown. I mean, it's not. It just behaves in a very very odd way. It's probably not a naturally occurring mutation. I don't know. I'm not an epidemiologist. They say the people who've been contacting me, they say it's it's it behaves in a strange way. Um, very dangerous to the vulnerable. But beyond that, you know. If you're not particularly vulnerable, as we now know, it's you're either going to get it and be asymptomatic, or you're not going to get it. Um, I compared the. I was looking just for straight mortality rates by population, and I think I told you the other day the data I was looking at is from the WHO. The WHO, who's been saying since also since three weeks ago, don't do lockdowns. We do we do not recommend lockdowns because of the the effect on human lives, the cure becomes worse than the disease. And I looked at pure pure mortality rates, which whilst we're in the middle of a pandemic, I understand it's almost impossible to calculate. But the crudest calculations indicate that if you're under the age of 65, the mortality rate for this thing is the same as the 2017 to 2018 flu. I'm not saying it's just the flu, but if you're under 65, the mortality rate is the same. So I would then ask, is this worth it? Mm. Really, what we're doing 
is it worth it? Is it commensurate? Is the response commensurate with the threat? And from day one, I've never had the impression, and I'm not alone in this at all, I think, I don't even, it might even be the majority of people now seem to think, but they're quiet about it because they don't want to sound like lunatics, that the the response is not commensurate with the threat. Um, but, the, but, 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 I, I guess I mean I, I don't I don't disagree with you because I think that a lot of this um, uh, a lot of reaction is 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 um, and let's say media coverage is not fact based or 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 number based or the government or, uh, coverage is in fact based yeah, on number based it's crazy but it is I mean like it's uh, unfortunately these are the decisions being made by mm. I mean democratically voted governments etc mm. etc so I mean mm. I guess that if if the majority of us finds out and believe that it's wrong, we will punish them in the next election. I mean, that, yes. that's that's the that's the way it should go. But yeah. but when you say that the 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 cure is more harmful f- than the disease, and mm. I, I I think that's what kind of that's the most uh, frequent or common mm. opinion mm. from a psych- psychological point of view, and 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 that that stuff. Are you seeing something like? Um, I don't know. Are you are you are you picking up something on on that point of view? Is people's mental health going down? People's mental health issues are exploding, and we will be counting the cost of this for decades. Mm. We won't know what twenty twenty did until twenty thirty and beyond, um, because again, as to the mortality rate issue, the problem that we all have is data and statistics. And we, we're still gathering it and we've got to collate it and then we have to make sense of it and it will take years. And the effects of 2020 will go on for years. Mm. We'll be feeling this in uh, 2025 without a doubt now, without a doubt. And I've been saying this from day one and I was told, don't worry, the economy will bounce back. It'll be a V-shaped recession and we'll bounce back stronger than we went into it. And I just said, there's there's absolutely no way that that will happen. And look at where we are now. So yeah, the the... Money is mental health. Freedom is mental health. Um, the economy is mental health. You you can't you can't pull these things from each other. We're not. It's not a que- like people try and divide it as a question of should we save the economy or save lives. The economy is lives. I mean, how rich and privileged do you have to be to not know that? The problem is a lot of the people making. Again, we're back to class. If you're middle class and up, you won't see it. You won't feel it. But in the back streets of Liverpool and, and, and Birkenhead, they are feeling it. People who used to work are now going to fucking food banks. The shame, the guilt, the depression, the anxiety, suicide rates are going through the roof, mm. in the, particularly in the more vulnerable areas of society at a class level. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I do okay, you do okay, We're middle class and above, we'll, we'll be fine. But some people's lives are ruined. I mean, the announcement yesterday um, is almost literally a death sentence for some people. The announcement last night made by uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson that we're doing a month lockdown at least before Christmas is, is, a, is a death knell, really, mm. for some people. Mm. So, um, yeah, the mental health situation is absolutely exploding. And what what is, the, like, what kind of, like you said, mentioned anxiety, depression... And that then, I guess, results in, in is that like going to be long-term issues for those people? I mean, or are, are we already, like you said, we see suicide rates are going up. Yep. I mean, this, 
these are the trends that we're already seeing. Yes. And then there's going to be a whole lot that we will see after you know, yes. five years or yes. ten years. or. Yep, years and years. This, this, this will go on for years and years because, I, I don't know, and this, this, this is where I, I can end up, I end up arguing with people. Like, I, you've got to think of the economy and business in a more integral way. The local businesses, the small businesses, the family-run businesses are dying. Every business that you see, every shop that you see closed on a road as you're walking around is five or six families who are going to have a really shit Christmas this year. That business doesn't, when we reopen, it won't just magically reopen as well. It's gone. It's dead. Dead forever. Where's that money gone? Where's the commerce gone? It's mm. gone to Amazon now. It's gone to eBay now. It's gone to some. It's gone to Sainsbury's, Asda, here, uh, Billa, and and so on. People are shopping online. The big corporations are raking it in. Mm. The billionaires just became even bigger billionaires. This is a huge transfer of wealth. So, if we could say this will all be over in February and everybody goes back to work, they regain their dignity. Yes, okay, we would have a problem and we would recover from it in three to four years. They won't go back to work. These people are now permanently fucking unemployed. Mm. There's there, there's no jobs for them. They haven't got the skills. They're not they're not computer programmers. They're not IT people. They're not entrepreneurs. You can't just tell these people to reskill and start working online. They haven't got the first clue what to do online. So there are people who are now going to be permanently unemployed, and their unemployment will be measured in years. Mm. Uh, sorry, not permanently unemployed, but their unemployment period will be measured in years. And I don't know how we're ever going to recover from that mm. because factories are using robots more and more. Artificial intelligence is becoming more and more efficient year by year. Um, they're really being pushed out of the workplace. So the only thing I can see is kind of full-scale socialism or communism where we have to just give people money to live. The psychological effects of that will be devastating. Mm. Devastating. Because people will lose their sense of worth and... and uh you, we, we can't, you can't expect people to just jump from a working system to a non-working system overnight. There are some people who will like it, but they will be a tiny minority. You're absolutely right. The self-identity, the self-worth of going out, making money for your family on your terms will be gone. Mm. Um, they're also pushing us towards cashlessness. So our discretionary spending our unseen spending will dwindle to almost zero or zero within the next few years mm. they'll see everything mm. and they'll crunch those numbers and they'll control all those numbers so we're drifting further and further into a kind of totalitarian format of soft communism well talk, talking about that like you know um i mean this is i've i've wondered about this covid lockdowns curfews and 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 the decision-making processes that are, that we've seen there are, are well, at least in where I follow things, which is in Iceland and here in the Czech Republic and a little bit in Scandinavia and of course the UK and the US. A lot of I feel like a lot of the kind of democratic uh, mechanisms have been disconnected, mm -hmm. and we've consolidated power into um, you know um, public employers or you know doctors and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that and a lot of the politicians do not want to be in the front of those decisions they actually want to kind of take more of a backseat um, and you mentioned now communism I mean do we have any other historical reference to 
um, the current situation other than communism. I mean, I, I was thinking about it before we met, like, have we ever seen this before? We were, we were already, I actually shot a video in Prague uh, this time last year, uh, warning about the uh, slow drift into communism. And we used as the opening shot the picture of the fractured man. Um, sorry, not picture, the sculpture. The statue, yeah. The statue yeah, of the yeah. fractured man, uh, which is very famous in Prague, for the effects of communism on the human being, which it splits you into pieces. It tears the individual apart. Um, I, I think the only thing we can compare this to is communism. can't be compared to fascism because it's not race-based loonies in uniforms rolling down the street and tanks shouting about a specific identified enemy, which I think you most historians would agree that's what you need to fulfill for it to be fascism. It needs to be ethnocentric. It needs to be a military takeover, state of emergency, and we need an identified enemy or foreigner to be kicked out or attacked well you can't compare it to that so yeah it's 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 communism it's it's the great equalizing mm. and it's it's doing terrible things to street facing entrepreneurs mm. like uh the oat bar that you mentioned earlier this is this classic example of a small to medium-sized enterprise it's public facing it needs humans to walk through the door to buy products to make a profit it, it's it's really not good for businesses like that. Mm. Um, but you'll still be able to buy oats online. You can still get them delivered to your door from the huge multi-billion dollar uh, or multi-billion uh, crown companies. Um, do our politicians have stakes in these companies? Do they have special relationships with these companies? What's happening? I mean... When we discussed it uh, the other day, I was saying I, I would love to believe it's just incompetence, hysteria, and cowardice. I would love... Yeah, I, I, ho I hope, I hope I so. I pray to God. I pray to God it's yeah. that. But I don't think it is. I oh. think this is a deliberate effort to permanently damage the economy, to force uh, a thorough change of the economy and the way we handle money and the way we do business. God knows what that will look like. I suspect... Uh, the most pain felt will be to uh, working class blue collar people, mm. I suspect. Um, but we'll all feel it. I, I think capitalism was always a game of kicking the can down the street. It's not designed to last forever. It, that's like where you have currency that's based on debt and you have a problem called inflation. You can't hold it off forever. Mm. You can't just keep printing money forever. So they're talking about this thing called the Great Reset. And I kind of think, well... It's inevitable. So maybe COVID is a smokescreen, or rather, excuse me, let me not sound like a complete conspiracy theorist. There is a virus called COVID. But maybe our response is a smokescreen to the fact that the system's breaking. It needs a big change. The big change is going to be extremely painful. Let's blame it on the virus. Hmm. Yeah, it's the perfect excuse. Hmm. Um, but how are you, like, personally affected by this? Because I can see that your your business delivery or your your like yeah, where you meet your your customers mm. uh, is online. So mm. I guess it's you know like you're not one of those who has had to gone from a physical environment into an online environment. But has something changed for you in this? Um, I'm very lucky in that I have an online business and it is dealing with mental health. So from a a business point of view. Yeah, business business is great, um, but my my heart is is breaking for 
my friends, uh, my community, where I'm from, up in the north of England, um, it's horrifying. Mm. You know, uh, not to sound like a doom monger, but I don't think people realize how bad this is going to get. Yeah. It, it's going to get bad mm. um, now because we've chosen this counter-scientific method called the lockdown, which there is no data to, to back the idea that it actually prevents the spread of the infection because it didn't last time and it hasn't anywhere, but we're doing it anyway. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, I think I mentioned it to you the other day when I was chatting with you that that um, it's very easy to take a, a kind of a middle-class office working view on this and say, yeah, I'm just working from home. Mm. I still get my salary. Mm. And so what we've, in my mind, what we've done, we took a bunch of 20 to, or even younger, I mean, 15 to, to maybe 50 years old. Yeah. We told them to stay at home and work from home. Yeah. Uh, these are usually highly educated, mm. um, better nurtured, uh, more active and exercised people. So these are actually the healthy ones that mm -hmm. could carry a virus, virus mm -hmm. and have, as you said earlier, has proven to have a very low, almost zero mortality rate in people under 55. Mm -hmm. But when I now go out to the supermarket, which is still open, mm -hmm. I'm being served by a 65-year-old lady that mm -hmm. is probably diabetic. So we keep the risk people are still mm -hmm. digging the holes, mm -hmm. uh, serving the, you know, food or whatever mm. it is that the rest of us needs. Mm. So, and if I look, then look at the mortality, that's 95% is over over 55 years old. Mm. We've obviously not done a great job at even pr protecting those. So, I don't know. It's it's really interesting. And yeah, I, I hope that it's stupidity and mismanagement mm. or mm. ignorance of facts mm. or something like this. But it just looks too stupid to be... That. Yeah, yeah, and and too consistent. Um, you asked me personally how how I feel. But just just a quick point there. My girlfriend was asked to help an old lady take her shopping home just from around the corner here, from Albert to to the old people's home. And I thought, yeah, there it is. There's there's somebody who really probably would die. She's going to die, but this would finish her off if she caught it. She has to interact with a young person who's way more likely to be a carrier than anybody else because uh, that's just the way it goes. Um, an asymptomatic carrier is what mm. she could potentially be, but she's forced to go to the supermarket and touch the cans and you know everything that everybody else has been touching and breathe that air. And as you rightly say, the vulnerable are outside and the strong are inside. It's yeah. complete lunacy. And not what Sweden's done. Not what Sweden's done. The vulnerable are inside, and if you're strong and you feel capable, you may go outside. Sweden chose to treat people like adults. Goodness knows why they made that outrageous choice, and it seems to have worked okay. Um, but yeah, this the, the, personally, I I was very upset yesterday with mm. the um, the announcement uh, from from the UK Prime Minister because I had convinced myself that they were doing a sort of more robust approach. Some people called it herd immunity via the back door. I thought they were doing a kind of a Swedish approach, but undercover. Mm -hmm. So, you know, wink, wink, don't go out to, unless you need to go to work. Uh, wink, wink, you know, look after yourselves, wash your hands, basically be sensible. No, that's not what they're doing. Mm. And it, you know, when I say it's a death knell for the UK economy, 
It's no exaggeration. The biggest companies, British Airways, the director of British Airways is saying, this is British Airways, my God, is saying there's no way uh, they will be back to anything sem uh, resembling uh, their normal economic status for the uh, for the next three years. Mm -hmm. They don't expect to recover from this lockdown, this month-long lockdown for three years. Mm. Boys and girls, open your eyes. Like this, this is bad. This is really, really bad. These are major uh, companies, and they're shaking. They're quaking in their boots mm. now because it's so such a mess. But to the to the uh, like, it, what? Will there be a revolution? I mean, will people e eventually revolt against something like this? I mean, could you see that happen? Because like, it's putting a lot of uh, economic strain on families mm -hmm. and individuals. It's mm -hmm. uh, the mental distress that comes mm -hmm. with that. Do you? Could you see that 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 I, something would happen? A hundred percent, I can say. Yesterday, uh, it was funny. I, I'm I'm packing my bags to go to Slovakia today. And I'm, I'm sat waiting for the prime minister to talk, not sat, I'm moving around, but I have YouTube on like it's the radio and I'm waiting for him to talk at six o'clock. And I'm like, I've only seen this in movies, you know, World War II, they would wait for Winston Churchill to come on and say today, this is the, so I'm waiting for him to come on. And I, he comes on and his scientific advisors come on and I'm just like, do you, do you want riots? Is that what you want? This feels like you want riots. This feels like you want a revolution. This feels like you're trying to goad people to revolt. British people are not revolting. <laughs> They're not that type. We're not like the French. We don't hold strikes all the time. We're not, we don't have that sort of like the socialist um, revolutionary spirit is not there. But you Poke, keep poking us with a stick. I'm pretty sure we can we can do a good impression of it, mm. as everybody will across Europe, as is already starting. Mm. We have violent protests here in Prague for the in uh, Old Town Square for the first time in God knows how long. Mm. It's not the Czech way, mm. but they'll do it if you mm. keep pushing them. Mm. The Brits will, everybody will in the end. So mm. yeah, I do think um, we should be. We certainly should be talking about the prospect of widespread, wide-scale rioting across all of Europe. And in the end, yeah, uh, revolution. I think we have to talk about it as a, as a prospect for 2021, for sure, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, I guess it depends on how it kind of plays out in the next few months. Sure. Um, um, if you were to, like, to the listeners that are you know, sitting at home um, and they've had their freedom <laughs> limited. Mm -hmm. um, they don't go out as much. They don't meet as many people. They don't go to concerts. They don't go to the theater, not to the cinema. They don't go to restaurants. Mm. There's a lot of stuff that has been kind of removed from mm. our day-to-day -day routine. And, mm. and as, as you said earlier, that has a, an impact on us. Are, are there any kind of, let's say, mental, hygienic things mm -hmm. that if you were to advise people okay mm -hmm. to try and stick to this or whatever mm -hmm. something else than a mask and a, and a hand sanitizer I mean wh what would you advise people to do I would say you're in prison so treat it like a prison sentence if you're a sensible person I hope if you were given a prison sentence you'd say right I'm going to get in shape this is the time to get really fit this is the time to take that master's degree i wanted to do or write the book I wanted to write or learn to speak Japanese or to make a souffle or whatever. Or start that podcast that or you always wanted to start like podcast. I did. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good for some things creatively. Yeah. Um, 
now's the time. Get on with it. You've got time. Meditate. Do yoga. Get outside as much as your uh, communist totalitarian regime allows you to. Um, connect with your friends. Read the books. Get off Netflix. Try not to use Amazon and eBay. Try not to use Netflix. Try not to be glued, uh, plugged into mainstream media and, and social media all day long. You will get depressed. You'll get fat. You'll get anxious. Mm. Um, get tough. Get strong. Get disciplined. You know, you should have a day that is scheduled like it would be in prison or like in the army. Keep it consistent. Go for it every day. Get your family on board. Don't let this fucking thing... It's a, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough moment in, in human history, for sure. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it's okay. It's tough. I feel bad. I feel bad for people because... I've got, I've, I'm okay, I've got money, mm. and I've got choice, I've got freedom. Yeah, we, we're, we're the lucky ones. We're all right, yeah. we're all right, but I know, I know what this is like. Yeah. I know what this is like for people who've got their kids at home. Yeah. They've got a family, they've got no money, yeah. they don't know what's coming next, yeah. and I feel bad these for are, them, These man. are the real victims, and, and th this yeah. is what I keep saying, you know, and, and we talk about in my home is that, you know, we're, we're floating on the top. Yeah. We don't have a fucking clue what's going on with people that actually need to go out there and provide and do stuff, and they have people depending on them, kids and, yeah. and stuff like that. It's, it's horrible. I, just, I, I was just imagining, like, you know, what I'm saying and, and some fucking, some, some poor family... Uh, I was listening to, to something yesterday and they're saying a lot of people can't even afford internet, never mind saying get off social media. They've not been on internet yeah. because it's it's a 30 quid a month expense that they now exactly. can't afford. And I'm saying, fucking hell, you know, get the kids out. Everybody goes to the park together. You go for a walk. You go home. You watch TV. What's next on the schedule? I don't know. Do some fucking push-ups or something. Oh, it's it's so tough. It's it's easy for me saying this from a from a from a middle class point of view, but I feel so bad for people who who I know the torture that this must be yeah. for some people. And and, uh, and and what what I don't like in this is that I feel that this voice or this group of people is being ignored, and totally. and we are taking not just in this subject, but in 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 some way we're taking a Western middle higher class view on everything yeah. and and it it's unfair yeah it's very selfish yeah and uh, and it's entitlement and that's yeah. for me it's not it's narcissism yeah. it's narcissism is the real virus here yeah. narcissism is the major threat all the politicians all the decision makers the the people who are in the infrastructure the doctors the people making podcasts you know um it's not it's not us it's not, but you know, the, the people who are making these decisions, it's like, I wish I could, I wish I could send them to some of the places and from where I'm from and just make them live with the family yeah. and go, this, this is you, this, this is, is what you did. Yeah. Look at this. Look at him getting drunk and beating up his kids or whatever happens. Yeah, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible.
So what we're saying, Richard, is to people in, in this COVID lockdown, quarantine, whatever, stay active, mm. stay healthy, mm-hmm. do the stuff that you always dreamt about, mm-hmm. uh, and come out of this stronger than you went in. That's, that should be the goal. That should be the intention, is to come out of it stronger than you went in. Uh, and if you're in a situation which is not favorable, because mm-hmm. as, as we were talking about, we it's easy to, to, to look at this from the point of us that are kind of floating mm-hmm. on top like the cream, mm-hmm. in, in some sense. Um, the ones that are in trouble, the mm-hmm. one, you know, where can they reach out? Should they reach out to their helplines? Yeah, there's uh, obviously country by country, you, you you do have support networks. There are helplines uh, for people in, uh, in America. It will be done state by state. Um, ask for help. If, if you think you need help, reach out and ask for it. Um, I'll be continuing to produce uh, free content uh, to entertain and, and, and uh, educate. educate, keep titillating you cerebrally. Uh, that'll be there on YouTube um, for people. Uh, to to enjoy and um, yeah you know if you do need help reach out to your friends do keep in contact with family members and keep talking to each other we've got the time to do it so make sure you're doing that yeah and where if people want to follow you so that that's uh, your web page is uh, spartanlifecoach.com and uh, and then instagram at richard grant at richard grant and his my instagram yeah and uh, and YouTube, I guess, is the same. Yeah, they could just put Richard Granin into YouTube, and I'm I'm everywhere. Yeah, yeah, no time not just that. Um, okay, so, well, Richard, thanks for coming. This has been really. I I, I feel that I could have sit, sat here for a few more hours, and Me maybe too. I'll just have to get you back again when you come back from That'd California. That'd be great. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Okay, you guys that listen, thanks for listening. It's been a pleasure having you. Hope you didn't hear the heavy breathing of my dog. I remember to switch off the electricity so the fridge didn't start. Uh, the music on the show is by, by the band Solstavir and another band called 13. Some people have been asking me about that. Please follow me. I have a Facebook page called The Bunker How the Hell Did We End Up Here. Uh, my Instagram is Midlife Crisis Warrior and my Twitter is Midlife Crisis Warrior. So feel free to send me anything, comments, questions, or whatever. Um, Share this with your friends. I'm always looking. I'm very vain. I'm almost narcissistic. (laughs) So I need followers. I need people to pay attention to all the great stuff that I'm doing. Hope this has been helpful. Uh, Richard, uh, have a nice trip to Slovakia. Thank you very much. And you guys stay safe. Talk to you later. Bye bye.